Praise the Lord. You are listening to Scripture Unleashed. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Scripture Unleashed. I'm Joe Hostetler. I'm joined with Seth Springer. Hey. Jacob Gilbert. Hello. Unfortunately, Anthony Lamb was not able to join us this week. But if you're not familiar with Scripture Unleashed, we are a podcast that follows along with the bread chart, which is a read through your Bible in a year chart that's put out by the United Pentecostal Church International. And so if you're new to Scripture Unleashed, you kind of came in right in the middle of the year. In this episode, we will be going through Ezekiel chapter 37 through 48, Hebrews chapter 1 through 7, Proverbs chapter 23 through 24, and Psalms chapter 73 and 74. Please remember, if your pastor does teach on topics of conviction differently than what you hear in today's episode, you know, if your pastor is teaching the Bible, he's an apostolic pastor, maybe he doesn't see something quite like we do, or this week we are going through a lot of maybe end time stuff in, in, in the book of Ezekiel. Don't get all sidetracked and out of sorts with your pastor because you hear something differently on this podcast than what your pastor teaches. He is your pastor for a reason, and you need to listen to him. Anyway, with all of those disclaimers out of the way, we are going to dive right in to Ezekiel chapter 37. And we're going to have Jacob do a lot of talking in the book of Ezekiel here. But Jacob, talk to us about the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel chapter 37. In the beginning of chapters 37, we see that Ezekiel is transported to this valley, and obviously, as we just said, it's full of dried bones. He sees all of this, and God begins to command him to prophesy to the bones, and they begin to join bone to bone, and flesh begins to grow on them, and they become a great army again. Then he commands him to prophesy to the wind, and the breath of life comes back into this great army, and God begins to show him that this is the army of Israel. This is the reborn army of Israel, and and it's from this scripture, if you go and you study in the Gospels and in some of the times when Paul is speaking with the Jews, you'll notice that he mentions the resurrection from the dead. This is one of the major scriptures where the Jews believe in the resurrection from the dead. They believe that at the end of all things that there will be a resurrection both of the just and the unjust, and that there will be judgment after that. And we know that as what we would call from Revelation the second death. Really, this entire chapter here, and, and as we go through Ezekiel, like Joe said, I'll be kind of going through quite a bit of this. But basically, from 37 all the way to 48, it seems to be, now we're kind of speculative in chapters 40 and on, because that is talking about a temple. But all of this seems to be end-time prophecy, and it correlates very well with the book of Revelation. So chapter 37, the Valley of Dried Bones being the resurrection of the dead. Either this is final resurrection, the white throne judgment resurrection, or it is the rapture of the church. That's up for debate. You know, I think that the Valley of Dry Bones, there's several things here. I, th I think it's literally, you know, the house of Israel being restored mm -hmm. because at this point, of course, they were in captivity in Babylon. Uh, you know, when they were led away into captivity, there was a lot of, lot of people killed. Whether these dry bones that Ezekiel saw was the bones of the dead people that were killed or if this was just because he was carried out in the spirit. But God told Ezekiel to prophesy to these bones and, and prophesy to the wind to come and breathe on these bones that they may live. 
And mm -hmm. when God continues to, to prophesy here or speak to Ezekiel in verse 14, he said, And I shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know it, that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. And so, you know, I'm, I'm reading this and, and uh, as well as reading some commentary on this. You know, this is kind of a, a prophecy also of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Like there was times when you guys remember mm. when Jesus turned around and breathed on his disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. That's the same thing, you know, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's also a prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and bringing dead people to life. And here, you know, he is talking to Israel, but I believe it's in Ephesians chapter 2. While you're dead in your trespasses and sins, it, how does it say it is the spirit that quickens? I'd have to go there and read it. It just slipped my mm. mind. But anyway, so the spirit of God gives us life. And I think it's, you know, a dual thing here, maybe a dual prophecy or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's talking about the restoration of the house of Israel. And I believe it's also a prophecy of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Which you're talking about Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. You know, but right before this is a God who is rich in mercy for his great love with he loved us. Right. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened or made us alive. I believe mm -hmm. is the right translation there. Us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I would believe that. The whole wind, you know, John 3. Right. You know, the pneuma, you know, we all know that, you know. Everybody's mm -hmm. heard that at least once, I think, in your life, if you've been a Pentecostal church. Yeah. You know, every Sunday. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the wind bloweth where it listeth. You hear the sound thereof, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's God filling people with his spirit. Same parallel, yeah. Right. And again, I don't, you know, I, I know that this is more than just that because it, you know, I do believe because he talks about restoring the house of Israel. But, you know, he said, yeah. I shall put my right. spirit in you and ye shall live. So, you know, I, I do think that it's definitely also talking about the Holy Ghost and the true fulfillment of that would be that. Anyway, moving on, Jacob, let's talk about Gog and Magog. Chapter 38 and 39 really goes over this, uh, these army that is going to come against Israel. And by the looks of it, it looks as though Gog and Magog is actually Gog would be the prince of Magog and that this more than likely is the Antichrist and the armies of the Antichrist coming in the Battle of Armageddon. This would be the time that chapter 19, I believe, of Revelation, when the armies of the Ten Kings cross the Euphrates River, which has been dried up at this point, and they're able to cross down south so the euphrates is north of israel northeast of israel and they're able to cross down into israel to battle against it in the valley of megiddo right. and so what we see here in chapters 38 and 39 of ezekiel is kind of a little bit more detail into what is going to happen i know if you read revelations chapter 19 verses 17 through 18 it says and I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And then if you read Ezekiel 39, verses 17 and 18, so it really correlates pretty good there. It says, And thou 
Son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come gather yourselves on every side of my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you. Even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and of lambs and of goats and of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. So really, this is the exact same scripture, almost quoted word for word between these two. And so you really see this battle happens here in 38 and 39. It gives us more detail into what is happening in chapter 19 of mm -hmm. Revelation. It's amazing how well they correlate to each other. It really is amazing how scripture always uh, correlates, like you said, Jacob. We're going to take a little break from Ezekiel, and we're mm -hmm. going to go over to, we thought this would just break it up a little bit, Proverbs chapter 23. You know, I have gotten into debates, and you guys probably have as well, about, like, drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake. So why do Pentecostals preach that you need to stay away from alcohol? <laughs> you know, I have heard that question and, you know, debated with people. Most sensible people totally get it, especially if they've been around long enough to see the effects of alcoholism. But Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29 through 35, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. There is apparently... So people are like, well, Jesus turned the water into wine. Yes, he did. But there are different sorts of wine. Like, for example, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. You know, there's a wine that I believe that is different than the wine that Jesus or the water that Jesus turned into wine. I've read a lot of stuff about this whole, you know, the whole wine thing. And, and mm -hmm. it seems like the wine that they would have drank as a, as a common drink really would be more like, uh, you know, the modern day kombucha, just about. Like slightly fermented, but not exactly, as alcoholic. Like, and yeah. so, but the longer that it ferments, obviously, the, the more alcoholic it becomes. Mm -hmm. And that's why it said, don't look on the wine that's red or, you know, when it gives us this color in the cup, when it's red, yes. like there was a point where like this wine is going to make you drunk and the end mm -hmm. of it is not good. You know, so could you drink a wine and go to heaven? Even, you know, today's wine, a lot of today's wine is pretty, you know, it's a lot of it's pretty, pretty alcoholic. You know, it's, yeah, it's getting up there. Like, I, I think you could, you know, but if you're drunk, no. Or, you know, if you become, and, 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 you know, really doesn't take much sometimes for people to start getting tipsy. But who has sorrow? You know, who's got contentions? Who has babbling? Who has wounds without cause? I can tell you from personal experience that when you start drinking, you know, you start talking things that you shouldn't. You know, you start getting into fights that you shouldn't. You know, just a whole lot of bad things happen. And so nothing good comes out of alcohol. That's why Pentecostals don't drink. You know, there might be several certain, you know, maybe some Pentecostals use wine in their communion. You know, I think mm -hmm. that's fine. We don't. 
you know, we, we always use grape juice, but that's why we preach against, you know, anything to do with alcohol because the alcohol that we have today, it is not for, you know, for the most part, it's not for uh, like, I'm drinking it because it's good for my stomach. You know, mm-hmm. it's more like I'm drinking it, you know, because I like the feeling that it gives me or, mm-hmm. you know, so, yeah. but th- that's why, that's why Pentecostals don't drink and it biteth us like a serpent and sting us like an adder. It causes wounds. It gives you wounds without cause babbling. People run their mouth when they start drinking and, you know, really it doesn't take that much mm-hmm. for you to get to that point, really, because you could have one glass of wine. And it loosens you up to the point where you just, especially somebody like with my personality, like it loosens mm. you up to where you just talk and talk and talk. And, <laughs> uh, and that's the truth. I mean, you know, it, it's this scripture is not lying. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say one thing that's kind of interesting with that, that when it says that moveth itself aright, alcoholic wine, if I've actually watched uh, like a science video or whatever on it, and they were wondering why. Wine, for some reason, and it's due to the alcoholic content, actually moves up the side of the glass. If you were to watch it, it actually, there's like this small, there's a, a very thin film around the edge of the glass right above the wine that is actually constantly moving up and then flowing back down and moving up and flowing back down. So when he's talking about that, it's more than likely he's mentioning how high the alcoholic content is to the point that it's, you're able to see it move inside of the glass. Mm. So do you know what what that is, Jake? Yeah, like what? How high? I don't. I don't know how high that is exactly. Sure. Well, I think it's twelve times in the New Testament, more than twelve times, but the Bible commands us to be sober, mm-hmm. and vigilant. vigilant. Yeah, right. You know, and it's like, okay, it doesn't really matter how many beers you have. Is before you have, you know, as soon as you have one, you're not going to be as sober as you should be. Right. Yeah. And you're not going to be as right minded as you should be. Right, yeah. exactly. And we're supposed to be we're supposed to be sober and vigilant. Why? Because our adversary right. you know, goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And it's like that's why, as soon as you get a little alcohol in your system, it compromises your ability to think and to make decisions. And pretty soon, you you are in sin. That's why we can always say, and I think I've heard my pastor say it: like Budweiser never made any dad a better dad. Mm-hmm. Right, made any any man a better worker. You know, it's it's never done anything good for anybody, really. And it doesn't. You see people in, in our society, and I'm especially Southwest North Dakota. Like, you know, I heard a stat once about Southwest North Dakota. There was some kind of a survey done in all the states across the United States back in, like, 2011 or something. And a friend of mine was telling me about this stat, and he said that in North Dakota, they you know, they took underage drinking, a survey of underage drinking, which county did it the most, and it ended up being the county that I live in. Mm. underage drinking and then he said they at school all the kids were like yeah you know yeah like per capita it was you know they were the most wow. uh, drinkers mm. and i'm like this is this is where i live so this is what mm-hmm. this is a subject i deal with frequently but you watch people and they can't even have a good time without alcohol just right. about mm-hmm. they have to include it in everything like friday nights you have to have beer mm-hmm. uh, going out to the lake you have to have a beer Going out to wherever, you know, if you're going to be with your friends, you have to, going out to eat at a restaurant, you have to have a beer. And it's like, can't you just have a good time and be loose and, you know, with your friends? Like, can't you open up with those people? Like, why do you got to have a beer, you know? Yeah. Right. And uh, it's just their drug. It's just people's drug of choice, you know. 
it's a legal drug now, so that makes it moral. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's it's just a pathetic thing, really. And there's so many problems that come from. I don't know why people would support that industry. You know, right? Like, I don't know. like just as good Americans. We're all about supporting, you know, small businesses or industries that are good. You know, right? Like we always we want to support these things that have a good cause. And I mean, why in the world would you support beer? Right. It doesn't make any mm. sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, Pentecostals don't. Exactly. <laughs> That's why we don't. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's go back to the book of Ezekiel. We're going to talk about a few things there before we go to a break. Jacob, talk about the temple to us. Which we're not going to go through too much detail because there's so much that goes into this. But basically in chapter 40, we see the beginning of this temple being built, or it was built already. And Ezekiel is brought to the temple and this man who has the image of bronze, he begins showing him all the length of the place. He has a, he has a reed in his hand, which apparently is a cubit in length, so it would be one and a half feet long. And he's taking this and measuring the entire temple, the inside, the outside, and all of this. And he's showing them all the different parts of the temple. And one thing that's interesting is that if this temple that we are seeing here is a literal temple, then it has not been built yet. And so the question would be, when will this be built? Some people believe that it will be built during the time of Christ and his thousand-year reign on earth in New Jerusalem. I've read some people think that it's a figurative temple which i don't quite they didn't really go into too much detail into what it figuratively was but it's interesting because there are several things in here that again point to revelation talking about chapter 44 and and joe and i talked about this a little bit beforehand which will give the counter to this as well but chapter 44 verses 2 and 3 it says then said the lord unto me this gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it. He's talking about the east gate into the temple. Because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it, therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince. The prince, he shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate, and shall go out by the way of the same. More than likely, this is talking about Christ, at least at this point. Again, then we look at chapter 45, which is this is the counter to this. And it mentions that the prince is offering sacrifices unto God, which at the same time, regardless of when this is, if this is supposed to be an end time thing, there really shouldn't be any more sacrifices needing to be made because Christ was the final sacrifice for us. So there's a lot of debate, a lot of questions about where this temple is, when it will be built. Is it an, like an actual temple, which I, I kind of believe that it is. But another thing, Uh, why it may not be an actual temple. And like I say, I'm going all over the place with this. Revelation 21, 22 says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So unless this is like a physical representation of God himself, which we know that was Christ Jesus, it's hard to say exactly what this temple is. The main point that really kind of jumped out is chapter 47, in verse 12, this is talking about this, this river that is flowing out of the temple of God. And Ezekiel says that they, they went out a thousand feet and it was to his ankles. And they went on another or a thousand cubits and they went on another thousand cubits and it was to his knees and a little further it was to his waist. And finally he couldn't swim across it. It was such a great river. And verse 12, it says, and by the river upon the bank thereof on this side and on that side shall grow all trees for meat whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months, 
because their waters are issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. Now, we take this scripture, and we jump all the way to Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. And it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this is, again, an exact correlation between Ezekiel's prophecy and what John sees in Revelation. Right. The the trees around this river, this tree, whether it's one or many, is the tree of life. These leaves are used as medicine for the healing of the nations, and somehow it grows new fruit every month, constantly, forever and ever. And I guess if you look at this, considering that we see that the beginning of this, that this river that flows out is coming out of the sanctuary, so it's coming out of this temple. And then we see in verse Revelations 22, 1, it says that this crystal river flows out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. So it could be that this temple that we see here is the throne of God. Only the Lord knows really what all this is. You know, scripture is of no private interpretation. So it is what he says it is. But these are our, my, I guess, two cents on how the correlations are between these. Right. Yeah, I guess I don't have a whole lot of commentary as far as I know for sure that the Jews are certainly looking at building a temple, a third mm-hmm. temple right mm-hmm. now. You know, the Jews in Israel, they definitely want a third temple. But as of yet, they don't have control of the Temple Mount, temple Mount. right, yeah. where they want to build the temple. Yeah, interesting thing there. We know for sure that the Jews certainly are uh, wanting to build a, another temple. And I would divide, I guess, Jacob, that scripture that you read in Revelation about that Esau, no temple therein. So mm-hmm. talking about New Jerusalem, I believe. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I would say that the temple we're talking about in Ezekiel here. That there is a literal temple, but not in New Jerusalem. <laughs> so that's what I would get out of that. That's my two cents. Seth, you got any thoughts on that? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Nope. All right. With that, Lister, we're going to go to a short break. We'll be right back. We're going to dive into the book of Hebrews. Stick with us. All right. Welcome back, everyone. We are going to dive into the book of Hebrews, chapter one. We are going to go to Seth. And he's going to tell us a little bit about some false doctrine or maybe dismantle some false doctrine. Seth, what do you got in Hebrews chapter one? Well, let's just preach the true doctrine. You know, so Hebrews one is a great, I love the introduction. It says uh, Hebrews one, one God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And then he says in verse two, have in these what? His last days spoken unto us by his son. Okay, so we all agree on that one. Right. Mm -hmm. God has a son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, set down the right hand of the majesty on high. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. 
And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers of flame and fire? But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Let's see, therefore thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So if you break that down chunk by chunk, the first part, God who had sundry times and divers. So that word, does anybody like use that word sundry? Like, yeah. Oh, you I, use I, it? I, no. I, I don't. Not in everyday language. Simply, it just simply means like various, right? You know, like various times, you know. Isn't that funny? We don't use that, but anyways, that's all free. But you know, God in these last days, He's spoken to unto us by His Son, okay, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the world. God made the world with the idea of the Son of God in mind. Isn't that incredible? Mm-hmm. That it, some people point and say, well, no, that means that He He made the world. God made the world by the Son. But that doesn't make any sense if you line up with the scripture. So that's what mm-hmm. it has to mean because he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's so the only way we can look at that truly and interpret it with scripture is that he made the world with the son of God in mind. And also Galatians 4, 4, the fullness of time was come. God sent forth the son made of a woman made under the law. So obviously the world wasn't made by the son in the sense that the flesh, the humanity created the worlds but it was made with the the sun in mind but then verse three jesus is the brightness of his glory who of god and the express or the only image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins set down the right hand of the majesty on high we know that jesus christ did accomplish the will of god as a man he fulfilled the will of god remember john chapter 17 Jesus talks about what he called the great high priestly prayer or the high priestly prayer. Anyways, this is prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. And he wants to do the will of God. In other places, he says, you know, not my will, but thine be done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he does. He goes to Calvary, to the cross. He's buried. He's resurrected. And he purged our sins. His blood was shed so our sins might be taken away. Isaiah chapter 53 and then, you know, he, what, is it, he said, what does it mean? He sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. His work was complete. He sat down in heaven. Like, he ascended to heaven, and he sat down. But we know if you read further on in Hebrews, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more next week, we'll get into Hebrews 9 and 10. The work of Christ on Calvary was completed. So that's what I mean. He sat down on the right hand of majesty. And so being that man, that humanity, that high priest we have, Jesus Christ, uh, and then I like this being made so much better than the angels as he, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they front to which of the angels said he at any time thou art my son this day I would begotten thee. You know, it says it says right here. This is funny because it's showing both the deity and the humanity of Christ mm-hmm. because it says in verse four being made so much better than the angels. Yet, jump over to Hebrews 2, 9, it says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. For the suffering of death, crowned by glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So which is it? It's both. Why? Because he is God. He's able to redeem us from sins. Yet he's a man, and we are lower than the angels. But anyways, that would be my two sins. Anybody got anything Mm -hmm. else right there you want to add? Well, I believe in one God. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. amen. 
I mean, but you know, that's the thing is Trinitarians here, well, they'll try to interject and especially in verse eight, let's skip down to that. It says, but unto the son, he saith, thy throne, O God is forever and ever. So Trinitarians say, see the father, God, the father is talking to God, the son. And he's saying, thy throne, O God is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. But that would make absolutely no sense. Because mm. if you if you read verse 9, then it says, Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. What was he doing? He's quoting Psalm chapter 45. Right. And it's a, a prophetic thing. And David's looking down through time. This writer of Hebrews is quoting the psalm. Mm-hmm. Thy throne, O God, is forever. Yeah, the Messiah was going to be God. Yeah. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And then verse 9, Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with oil of gladness above thy fellows. So this would be our kinsman redeemer. This is our human Messiah, yet he's God. And mm-hmm. that's the only way you can explain that. Right. And, uh, and you can't say that this second person in this non-existent trinity was here, you know, like God is referring to him as his God, because that would show subordination. And then also mm-hmm. on top of that, he can't say it was... The Father is then saying to the Son, like God the Father is then saying to God the Son, God hath anointed thee. So which God at that point? You know, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. <laughs> the Trinity is that. Trinity. <laughs> yeah, it's just a big mystery that nobody understands. Let's talk about this idea of eternal security. You know, one of the things that's a doctrine, you know, maybe not so much in North Dakota, that once you're saved, you can do nothing to lose your salvation. Like you could... You know, you could completely backslide. You could completely, you know, just go way off the deep end. But you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, therefore you're saved. But in our reading this week, there's several things that talk about this. Like in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. And, you know, if you go back to what Paul, or I say Paul, (laughs) what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's talking about coming into the promised land. He's talking about Moses when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and some of them couldn't enter into the promised land because of their unbelief, because of their heart of unbelief that they had. And, you know, he said, take heed therefore, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So we can depart Mm -hmm. from the living God. You know, we we can walk away from God if we want to. And I think the reason that the doctrine is so dangerous is because it gives people an idea that God is okay with anything they want to do. Because I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore I'm saved. Now, it doesn't matter what I do, but Mm -hmm. it matters what you do. Because, and, and, and I'll just say this. That it matters what you believe, too. You know, and having an evil heart of unbelief, it matters what you believe or don't believe. Don't let your heart get hardened by unbelief and not believing in the hand of God and all that. But, you know, let us therefore fear. Fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of Mm -hmm. you should seem to come short of it. It seems like you come short of the promise. And there's a lot of scriptures, like Jesus would say things like, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. You know, it takes diligence. It takes even labor to enter into the rest. 
And mm-hmm. then one more scripture in Hebrews chapter 10. This is not in our reading, but it will be next week. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure, no pleasure. in him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Right. And so, you know, our walk with God is an ongoing thing. We're not really saved until we're saved. Um, yeah. There's, yeah, yeah, there's that, there's that, uh, you can have confidence in your salvation. That's not what Joe's, Joe's not saying. You can't have confidence in your salvation. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. You know, because, you know, Romans 8, 1, you know, if you walk in the spirit, man, you don't have nothing to fear in the world. Yeah. You know, there's right. no condemnation. First like John five thirteen as well, you know, talks about assurance, having assurance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, but the thing is, like, there is, there is like that threefold saved, you know, I was saved and, you know, I got baptized in Jesus name back in whenever and I was filled with the Holy Ghost on July 30th or July 31st, 2006, you know, and, and I was, I got saved, I'm saved right now, but one of these days I will be saved, you know. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing, but, you know, it ain't, it ain't final till the gate clicks behind me in heaven. Man, that's mm-hmm. you know, like because we got a whole life, and that's that John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He you know gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth, mm-hmm. that word believeth is like a is a current like yeah. a starting point. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's a a continuing in that believing. So that's what that Hebrews ten, what Joe was just talking about, this believing unto salvation. Right. You, know, you believe unto salvation. This is like it's not believe unto salvation. Like salvation was a point you reach, but no, it's believing. Until that final saved, right? Until you breathe your last breath, you are faithing, you are believing, you know, in Christ. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. are you are walking in Christ, and that's that's where they. Yeah. Lo- I don't know where they get off. Like once saved, always saved. With you know, I don't know how you get around the Book of Hebrews. It's right. like chock full of these examples. You know. Yeah, yeah. I know that you just said faithing, and it made me think. You know, there's that saying or whatever, fake it till you make it. Well, I heard somebody once say, faith it till you make it. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, that's that's really what it is. You know, that, that scripture we mentioned, I believe, last week, or maybe it was when we were talking about Micah. But we were talking about how that, that word faith means to persevere, like his steadfastness. And it's the same even in the New Testament. That, that word faith there also means the same thing, is that your steadfastness, your faithfulness to God is what, you know, the just shall live by faith, by their right. steadfastness, by their faithfulness to God. And that is really part of believing because believing is, you know, part of that steadfastness right. to continue to believe what God has done for us. Right. Yes, and what he's going to do for us is to yes. save us, you know. Right. <clears throat> get us out of this disgusting world anyway. Right. Jacob, give us some commentary on Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10. I kind of alluded to some of that, but Hebrews chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Really, this is what it's all about. We see at the beginning of Genesis, all the way at the beginning, God finishes his work and he rests on the Sabbath day. And throughout scripture, we hear mentioned about the Sabbath day more and more and more. And this is what the rest is that God is talking about. Now, the rest that we are going to experience, obviously, is an eternal rest once we make it into the new Jerusalem and into heaven. But it says here in verse 10 and 11, says, For he that is entered into his rest, talking about God's rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. And he says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. 
yeah. lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So laying aside our works, basically our selfishness, whatever it is that we're doing. And I'm, this doesn't have to be like your actual like job. But if what you're doing is self-centered, it's to promote yourself rather than the kingdom of God, you'll have no rest. You'll continuously try to reach out for more. You'll continuously try to do more work. You'll continuously try to do this and that. And you won't have any rest in yourself. It's not until we lay down our works and really pick up God's works that we actually find the true rest that we're wanting right. to see. Yeah, you know, for me, the flip-flops in Scripture, like me and Joe, just we had a little exchange right before we, we opened up here. And, you know, and I said, mm -hmm. knowledge puffs up. But Joe was like, yeah, we're well, growing grace and knowledge, though. And mm -hmm. I love the Bible because it, oh, I love, no, I love it because it's the Bible. But I love when the Bible yeah. does that. You know, it's like all the time you get these things that are seemingly contradictions, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then you follow them out. For instance, this one says, quit working, you know, verse 10. Mm -hmm. you, 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 you know, he that's going to enter God's rest, you, you ceased from your own work. Yeah. And then verse 11, let us labor, therefore. Yeah. Like, what, what <laughs> is it? Or like, you know, Hebrews, Hebrews 1 and 2, like, you know, Jesus made a little lower than the angels. And then in like Hebrews 1, it's like he's made a little above the angels. Mm -hmm. Like, which is it? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's both. You know, that's the thing. You got to let God work in you, you know? Right. There's a scripture in Proverbs. But yeah, that says, yeah. Answer not a fool according to his folly. In the very next like verse. Yeah. yeah. Answer a fool according to his folly, <laughs> lest he be. Or, you know, basically it's like straighten him out. <laughs> like, yeah. Which is that's it? That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, absolutely. There's well, a, actually, I wonder if that wouldn't be like, don't answer a fool in the same manner, that first one according to his folly but then the second one is according like point out his his error right that makes sense yeah. yeah maybe that's the difference in the way that it's right it could be but portrayed. like if you if you read it face value without really yeah. putting much thought like, into it you're in. like you're like yeah. what yeah <laughs> you know like that's where context is so important you know right. so important and that's you know people get all like see the bible's full of contradiction like sir no it's not you just don't know the bible yeah. right anyways mm -hmm. The end of Hebrews chapter 5 is talking about immature teachers. Jacob, you want to talk about that a little bit? Verses 10 through 14, we see here verses 10 and 11 that the writer of Hebrews is mentioning Melchizedek, showing how Christ is after the order of Melchizedek. And he says, says, of whom we have many things to say. We have a lot to say about this Melchizedek. And they're hard to be uttered. It's hard to understand them, seeing that you are dull of hearing. He doesn't hold any punches with this. And then verse 12 through 14 says, For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles or the sayings of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Mm -hmm. The writer of Hebrews here, like I said, does not hold any punches here. He says, you ought to be teaching other people. And we'll see this as we transition into chapter six, which we're going to here. But you ought to be teaching people, but instead you are needing others to teach you the basics again. Right. You're needing 
people to teach you the same things over. And because of that, he says, we can't tell you the many things that we want to tell you about Melchizedek. So we can't show you the correlations as well, because you are so, as he said, dull of hearing. Right. And as that flows into chapter six, I know, Joe, you have a thing on there. Absolutely. You know, chapter six just follows right along that, that same thought. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Like, don't just be stuck on, like you said, Jacob, why do we have to keep teaching you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God? Mm-hmm. Get this down. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. But, and then leaving that, like, not in the sense of stop leaving it, but in our yeah. personal life. And the thing with, you know, if you're in a church that's growing, you're dealing with people that are on all sorts of different levels. So there's people that need the first principles of the oracles. And so in our church, actually, we have like in our adult Bible study, our pastor is teaching a new believers course. You know, and he talks about mm. all these things. We have different classes for different age groups. But at some point, we've got to move beyond just the initial principles of God. And so I just mm-hmm. wanted to talk a little bit about what are the principles of the doctrine of Christ? Because what's really beautiful about the scripture, it says, let's move on from the doctrine of Christ. But then it tells us what the doctrine of Christ is. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Those are the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Like Second John chapter 1, verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. So the doctrine of Christ is pretty important. If you don't have the doctrine of Christ right, you know, no matter what your foundations is wrong, the mm-hmm. principles, you know, your foundation's got to be right here. And so what is the doctrine of Christ? It's spelled out here pretty well, but I'm just going to open this up. Seth, you have said a whole lot in this podcast. What is the doctrine of Christ? I believe it would be, I mean, obviously what he says, he's just not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works of faith towards God to doctrine of baptism, laying on hand, resurrection, dead, eternal judgment. I think that's the doctrine of Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, we don't have to lay that foundation in. But anyways, I'm not, that's the doctrine of Christ. The teachings of Christ, you know, is, you know, what Luke 1910 Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Mm-hmm. The teachings of Christ are like the born, I believe it's the born again message of Christ and continuing in that lifestyle. I could be wrong. So my question would be, and, and you know, listeners take this with a grain of salt, but what do you guys think we are to go unto perfection to? Like stepping past this, what does it look like to move on to perfection? Well, I would certainly say that, you know, growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, living in holiness, that would be going on in perfection. And having the fullness of the stature of Christ added to us, that would be my view. Seth, what do you think? Okay, so that word perfection, I guess I would, you know, you could say, yeah, perfection in the sense of being 100% perfect. But I think also another way that it's commonly and frequently translated is like maturity. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And yes. So, and that would fit the context, too, if you back up into, like, chapter 5, verse 10, and then on through would be uh, going on into maturity. 
And mm-hmm. so there you got maturity in Christ. You know, Paul talks about where those who of us who are perfect were mature in Christ. You know, that's right. one of his letters. And so mm-hmm. being mature in Christ is nailing down these Christian values, Matthew 5, 6, 7, and living those. Right. Yeah, I mean, living those in a very mature and perfect way. You know, I've met people over the years that I'm like, you know, and I'm supposed to be a preacher, right? You know, and I, like I meet these people and I'm supposed to preach in the Dickinson church, which is the big church, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and there's like seasoned saints that know the Bible backwards and forwards. And, and I'm supposed to get up and share something with them. Mm-hmm. And these people are mature Christians who like their lifestyle speaks five million times more than any words that come out of their mouth. You know, and it's like, what am I supposed to say to these people? But anyways, that's perfection. Maturity is when they, I mean, I've seen some of these saints, they go through things that are absolutely astounding that I would like my, all my hair would fall out, not just the top part, but <laughs> you know, like it would kill any normal human, right? <laughs> just about, but they're seasoned saints, they're perfection, they're mature. And uh, that's that going on in maturity. And I think, you know, if you if you flip over, one of the best ways that that's enacted is in Matthew chapter 5. I believe it's verse 48. Jesus says this. He says, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Right. And some of that. Mm-hmm. And what he's talking about there, the context is loving people. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so perfection would be that perfect Christian walk of 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. And Matthew 5, 6, 7, you know, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I believe perfection is, you know? Yep, me too, 100%. The correlation to that verse in uh, Matthew 5, 48 is Luke 6, 36, which is, Be ye therefore merciful, as your your Father father. also is merciful. It's the Mm -hmm. same context. Mm -hmm. Right. This is the thing, like, okay, here, I'm, I'm, I'm real good at beating up apostolics, right? (laughs) <laughs> but I'm one of them, so I'm going to beat myself up. But I'm real good. I love the oneness of God, right? I love the mm. new birth message, okay? I love the holiness message. And we can find it all through the scriptures. And those are fun to pick out and beat up people with or, you know, <laughs> just, you know, talk about. That's fun. But that's not perfection. Mm-hmm. That's the doctrines of Christ. That's the, the basic things, the doctrine of baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment. Right. You know, like. Like, we know that stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's let's live as Christian. Right, absolutely. You know, it doesn't matter how much you can pray in tongues over somebody. Now I'm quoting First Corinthians 13. But do you love them? Do you show mm-hmm. them love? Do you, do you help them out? Do you go out of your way to help somebody? Do you go out of your way to be unselfish? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, all these things, you know. Yeah. Right, absolutely. When somebody does you evil, do you respond in evil? Do you respond in good? Like, how do you? Or maybe you just need to not respond at all. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. could be. That's mature, yeah. All right, listener. With that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Did we not cover something that jumped out to you? Was there something that stuck out to you that we didn't talk about and you'd like to share with us? You can certainly do that. You can reach out to us by sending us a voice message on anchor.fm. Look up Scripture Unleashed. You can send us a voice message on that. Or you can reach us at our Facebook page at Scripture Unleashed. If you have any advice or a word of encouragement for us, we'd like to hear that as well. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We look forward to having you with us back here next week as we go through Hebrews chapter 8 through 13, Ezra chapter 1 through 10, Psalms chapter 75 through 77, and Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. God bless everyone. Thank you for listening. This has been Scripture Unleashed.